Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday. We are gathered here today because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be listening to me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others. So thank you so much for submitting. And as I always say, um, my regular podcast, I write out in its entirety before I record. That's for everyone's sanity. But this one is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headlines so that you and I can react together. So let's get into it. I believe I have actually a bit of a stack of news articles for you guys today, so this might be a long one. I don't know. We'll see. So our first article comes from NBCNews.com. Title reads, Pennsylvania man, 84, accused of killing wife in argument over cat's vet care. Police officers found the man on a rear porch with, quote, blood on his hands, face, and clothing, authorities said. So an 84-year-old Pennsylvania man is accused of beating his wife to death after an argument over money for veterinary care for their cat. Barton Seltman was arrested Tuesday after police found his wife, Margaret, 85, dead in the couple's home in Lower Pottsgrove Township, Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin R. Steele and Lower Pottsgrove Township Police Chief Richard Bell, said in a joint statement. The couple were arguing, quote, about money for the veterinary care of their cat when the fight turned physical. Evidence found on scene indicated that the victim was struck multiple times in the head while lying on the kitchen floor, end quote. Barton himself called 911 to report an unresponsive female, authorities said. When they arrived, police officers found the man on a rear porch with blood on his hands, face, and clothing, according to authorities. So NBC Philadelphia reported that Barton Seltman initially told 911 operators he believed his wife was dead and that someone, quote, beat her. Later, he said he beat his wife to death after she grabbed a knife and threatened to kill him, the station reported. Seltman said he grabbed a chair and pushed its legs into his wife, according to an affidavit of probable cause. He told investigators his wife then fell back and struck her head on the floor. Seltman said he didn't see a knife in his wife's hand, but still repeatedly punched her and then used a candle holder, not the candle holder. To hit her in the head, the station reported. Seltman said his wife stated, quote, you're killing me, end quote, according to NBC Philadelphia. I'm really trying not to let my dark humor out here, guys. I'm trying. Investigators found a small kitchen knife under Margaret Seltzman's body, according to the station. No Seltzman. So she did have a knife, I guess. A forensic pathologist with the Montgomery County Coroner's Office determined that the woman's cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head and her manner of death was ruled a homicide. Seltman was arraigned on first- and third-degree murder charges. Online court records show he is scheduled for a preliminary, preliminary hearing December 5th. Court records did not list an attorney who could comment on his behalf. <sighs> Over pet veterinary care? Like, how bad could it possibly be? Seems a little extreme to me. Anyway... 
Okay, our next article comes from NewsNationNow.com. Title reads: "Search for Valerie Tendel Uncovers Human Remains Arrest Made." So, coming straight out of Arlington, Indiana, the nearly six-month-long search for Valerie Tendel has finally come to a heartbreaking end. NewsNation affiliate WXIN reports. According to a source, 17-year-old Valerie Tindall's body was discovered just a hundred yards or less from her family's back door on Tuesday afternoon, hidden inside a barrel on her neighbor's property. The barrel buried beneath a pile of rubble. Quote, we moved away from Indy to get away from violence, and we moved across the street from her predator," said Valerie's mother, Sheena. So on Wednesday afternoon, the Rush County Sheriff's Department confirmed that human remains were found on Tuesday in Arlington as more than 40 federal agents and law enforcement officers descended upon the property of Patrick Scott, and he looks like a shorter-haired version of the Big Lebowski in that particular shot. Not that I'm dissing on the Big Lebowski, guys. Do not come for me. That's one of my favorite movies. I'm just saying. Uh, so Scott, 59, was booked into the Rush County Jail on a preliminary charge of murder on Tuesday evening after the discovery of the remains. At this time, police cannot confirm the human remains were those of Valerie Tendel. The Rush County Coroner will make that determination. I mean, who else would it be? Scott, who was not only the neighbor of Valerie Tendel but employed the 17-year-old in his lawn care business, he was the last person seen with the girl before she vanished on June 7th. His Tuesday arrest came on the heels of federal agents descending on his Arlington property to search the premises for at least the second time since the teenager went missing. Previously, authorities searched a pond on Scott's property. The Rush County Sheriff's Department said on Wednesday that more than 50 search warrants have been executed over the last six months in relation to this case. A source told WXIN it was during Tuesday's search that the barrel was uncovered and the girl's gruesome fate at last unveiled. Scott previously was charged in late June with false informing after police said he lied to officers and couldn't keep his story straight about the last time he saw Valerie. Scott ultimately claimed he dropped her off in the town of Homer, roughly five miles south of Arlington, and said she got into a car with an unknown male. According to Valerie's mother, Sheena, another individual overheard Scott telling Valerie he was going to take her to Indianapolis for lunch on June 7th, and that he planned to take the teenage girl quote someplace special. Gross. So the mom said she began feeling uneasy about the attention Scott was paying to her daughter. The mother said Scott acted like a jealous boyfriend and tracked Valerie's phone. But she said her daughter didn't see anything wrong with it since Scott was her boss. Either way, Valerie was never seen by her loved ones again after June seventh, and her car was found parked at an apartment complex in Shelbyville. Scott, who had been spotted driving her car, oh, idiot, told police he had moved the vehicle for Valerie after she'd met him in Shelbyville at an apartment complex where the two departed in his lawn care truck. Well, she just looks like a baby. 
The renewed search for Scott's property by federal agents on Tuesday reportedly came after new tips surfaced about the man who last saw Valerie Tendall on June 7th. The Sheriff's Department would not comment, however, on if any recent tips led to the renewed search on Tuesday, saying only that the search was a culmination of the ongoing investigation into Valerie. Her mom told Fox 59 slash CBS 4 about strange behavior exhibited by Scott, including being spotted tearing down and burning his garage at 2 a.m. not long after Valerie vanished. Are you... Really? The barrel that contained Valerie's body was reportedly found hidden underneath the rubble of the burned-down garage. Scott's pickup truck was also hauled away by investigators on Tuesday. Her mom previously lamented about how the search for her daughter has failed to even turn up proof that the girl is still alive. Quote, she's a really good person, sweet kid. She worked hard to get her grades up. She was going to go to college. She was accepted, and now she'll never have the chance, her mother said on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the mother reflected on her decision to move her daughter away from Indianapolis to rural Rush County. She said her daughter had experienced trauma at a young age, and she moved to the country to escape the violence. Quote, I wanted to get her help, and she wouldn't, and I think he took advantage of that, she said. So Arlington, a small town whose dwindling population fell below 300 in 2020, remains rocked by the case of the missing teenager and the arrest of a man whom her family trusted. So now the small town holds its breath and waits for further answers as Scott remains locked behind bars. They're saying that the case is far from over, though an arrest has been made. Investigators continue to pour over Scott's property as the Sheriff's Department turns its attention from an arrest to prosecution. Justice will be sought for Valerie. So anyway, that's really sad because, you know, as a parent, you can understand that if you feel like your child is unsafe in the city and you move way out in the middle of nowhere to the country, the last thing you think is that that move is going to cause it. That move didn't cause the death of her child, but you get what I'm saying. So I bet she really is upset and heartbroken. That's awful. Our next article comes from FoxIllinois.com. Fox, Illinois. Uh, title is Southern Illinois Man Arrested for Aggravated Battery to a One-Month-Old Child. And this dude does look kind of sketchy. Coming from Olin, Illinois. A Southern Illinois man was arrested on Tuesday and is facing charges of aggravated battery to a child. On November 22nd at 11 p.m., ISP Zone was requested by the Department of Child and Safety Services, DCFS, to investigate life-threatening injuries to a one-month-old child. On Wednesday, Blake A. Street of Goreville, Illinois, was arrested. Street is currently being held at a Massac County Jail depending a detention hearing. ISP says this investigation is open and ongoing and no further information will be disseminated at this time. Oh, that's that was the whole article. Sorry, guys. See, I told you I don't look ahead. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so he deserves the absolute worst for hurting a child. And that goes without saying, of course. Our next article comes from themirror.co.uk. So excited to get something from the UK. Now, I don't know if the mirror is sort of like the 
uh, UK's version of like the National Enquirer or something. So I don't I don't know their periodicals over there so much. So I don't know how accurate this might be. But regardless, uh, it comes from mirror.co.uk says mom killed sleeping husband with boiling water after daughter said he had abused her. Corina Smith, 59, from Neston, Cheshire, had been told by her daughter that husband Michael Baines, 80, had sexually assaulted her and her brother when they were children. She's 59 and he's 80. 21-year difference. Uh, a mom poured boiling water mixed with sugar oof, over her sleeping husband after being told he had allegedly sexually abused her children. Corina Smith, 59, filed a garden bucket. Oh, she filled a garden bucket with water from the kettle and three bags of sugar before hurling it over Michael Baines as he slept in their bed, leading to his death. She had become incensed after her daughter claims Mr. Baines, 80, had preyed on her and her brother Craig, who took his own life in 2007 for many years when they were children. Smith, previously known as Baines of Neston, Cheshire, was sentenced to life imprisonment and ordered to serve a minimum of 12 years behind bars before parole can be considered. Prosecutors told Chester Crown Court yesterday the sugar, quote, made the liquid more viscous, thicker, and stickier so that it stays on the skin and causes greater damage, end quote. Mr. Baines suffered significant burns to 36% of his body and underwent surgery and skin grafts but died weeks later at Whiston Hospital in August last year. Prior to his death, Craig had been to prison for assault and told his mom the man he attacked was a pedophile who had touched him sexually, the court heard. Judge Amanda Yip, QC, oh, uh, she said, quote, You found it difficult to take everything in, but made the connection between that Craig had said the day before he died and what your daughter was telling you. You were understand understandably very upset. You were described as being livid and fuming, end quote. Okay, so sidebar here, guys. Reel it in. Come on, come on, come in. So vigilante justice is, you know, we're told that it's wrong, right? We're told we're not supposed to partake in that sort of thing. We're not supposed to engage in that sort of thing, you know, like call the police, you do it right so that they don't walk or whatever, right? But if I, if any of you found out that someone had inappropriately touched or assaulted or hurt your children to the point that one of them killed themselves because of it, I'm sorry, but... I think she took it light on him. I'm just saying, right? You can come for me. That's fine. But I'm just saying, uh, super thick sugar water. Uh, he probably would have suffered quite a bit longer if it were me, but that's just me. Anyway, prosecutors told the court they could not confirm the allegations made about Mr. Baines, but accepted the defendant, quote, believed them to be true when she attacked her husband on July 14th of last year. Now, Smith has claimed manslaughter due to loss of control, but found but a jury found her guilty of murder following a trial last month. Her argument was weakened due to the planned involved, for the planning involved, including the 13 minutes it took to boil the water to fill the bucket. Prosecuting Mark Rind QC said, quote, she was in control and acted in anger and to exact vengeance for what she believed that Michael had done. 
We say that she intended either to kill Michael or cause him really serious harm, and so she is guilty of murder, end quote. Here, here. And? So? And? Smith fled the house following the attack and told a neighbor several doors down, quote, I've hurt him really bad. I think I've killed him, end quote. An ambulance was called, and police also arrived at the scene, finding Mr. Baines in excruciatingly pain with his skin peeling off. He told officers, quote, I just want to die. Smith admitted to police in an interview she poured the water over her husband, but that the whole thing is a bit of a blur. Quote, I just lost it and was so emotional I was not acting out of revenge. Detective Chief Inspector Paul Hughes from Cheshire Constabulary's Major Crime Directorate said, <laughs> Smith killed her husband Michael in such a painful and cruel way. He said she wasted time after the attack by going to a neighbor nine doors away who she wasn't close to. Quote, Michael was an elderly man who fought for his life after the attack, but sadly in the end he passed away, he added. So, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, again, putting his hands on kids. Mm -mm. Nope. Sorry. Oh, great. I remember this one. It's not very positive either. I apologize, guys. But the next article comes from the DailyBeast.com. Title is Baby in Idaho. Amber Alert is found dead. The man was also wanted as part of an investigation into the death of his wife, whose body was found in her residence on Thursday. The baby is, the baby's father is in custody. Okay, so from Idaho Falls, Idaho. And by the way, what the fuck is going on in Idaho? Guys, y'all keep this shit up and Idaho is going to be right up there with Florida. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. An Idaho baby was found dead by police on Saturday, one day after an Amber Alert was issued for him, authorities said. The baby's father was taken into custody on an arrest warrant issued in connection with the death of his wife. Police found the body of 10-month-old Zeke Best, about 24 miles east of Idaho Falls, after a hunter called to report a man in a sleeping bag on the side of the road. The man was identified as Jeremy Albert Best and was wanted in the alert issued Friday on suspicion of kidnapping the child in Teton County, the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office said. Teton County. Mm-hmm. Officers located Best's car in an embankment off the road and found the baby dead at the scene, the office said in a news release. Idaho State Police and the FBI were among the agencies processing the scene. The investigation is ongoing. So, the man who was also wanted as part of an investigation into the death of his wife, Callie Jean Randall, whose body was found in her Victor residence on Thursday. The Teton County Sheriff's Office said on its Facebook page, is this the Teton County where Gabby, Gabby's boyfriend killed her? Randall's death was being investigated as a homicide. Best was being held in Bonneville County Jail and will remain in custody until his arraignment, authorities said. When reached by phone Saturday evening, the jail could not confirm whether a defense attorney who could speak on his behalf had been assigned to the case. Well, we're getting news so fast they don't even have a lawyer yet. I mean, if he killed those people and it's whatever, he needs to go. Okay, our next article comes from rollingstone.com. I think one of you guys sent me this one too. 
the title reads: "Wife of suspected Long Island serial killer accused of trying to capitalize on case with new docu series." So Asa has agreed to participate in the Peacock Project, which is reportedly being partly developed by Fifty Cent's G Unit Productions. Well, good for you, Fifty Cent. A new Peacock docu-series about the ex-wife and family of suspected Long Island serial killer Rex Hewerman has unsurprisingly irked authorities and some families of victims potentially tied to the case. The project was first confirmed earlier this month, and as the New York Times notes, camera crews have been spotted at the home of Hewerman's ex, Asa, as well as following her to one of Hewerman's recent court hearings. Fifty Cent's G Unit Productions is helping to develop the project along with Texas Crew Productions and New York Post Entertainment. Notably, she is being paid for the docu series, though the exact figure is unknown. Some reports have suggested she could be receiving one million dollars, with additional payments reportedly going to her lawyer and an attorney for her children. A Peacock spokesperson tells Rolling Stone that she was not paid for her participation in the series and has no creative control over it, but she was paid a standard licensing fee for use of her archival material. That money, however, cannot go towards Hewerman or his defense funds. Furthermore, the spokesperson said that all the victims' families were contacted about appearing in the documentary. They either did not respond or declined to partake. Reps for G Unit Productions did not immediately return a request for comment. Uh, speaking with the Times, departing Suffolk County Long Island Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison called the docu series a smack at the family members who lost a loved one. Meanwhile. Suffolk County Prosecutor Ray Tierney said the film project could affect her, the wife's credibility, especially if she is called to testify. That's true. That's a good argument. She is not facing any charges, and it's believed she was out of town when the killings occurred. But investigators uncovered some potential ties to the case. For instance, a woman recently told authorities she met Hewerman and his wife at their home in 1996 for a sex party, along with Karen Vergata, a woman who disappeared and whose skull was found near Gilgo Beach in 2011. Additionally, police have said strands of the wife's hair, likely carried accidentally from the family's home, helped link Hewerman to the bodies. So her lawyer has said she knew nothing about the killings, and quote, the only thing she knows about the charges is what's been reported by the media. He added that she wants to believe that the spouse she's been married to for 27 years isn't capable of these crimes. She wants to see and hear the evidence as it plays out in the courtroom. End quote. Now. Tierney, the prosecutor, did acknowledge it was unlikely she knew any pertinent details about the case, or if she did, that she would choose to share them on camera. But even still, he argued that she was trying to capitalize on her husband's notoriety and make herself marketable. But the truth isn't always marketable, and the money itself could be a motivation to lie. End quote. And that's very true as well. On the other hand, John Ray, a lawyer representing the families of two women whose remains were found on Gilgo Beach, said she should be considered a suspect and investigated accordingly. End quote. 
Noting that anything she says to the film crew can be used against her criminally, he said, they are all walking on extremely thin legal ice. She's still within the circle of suspicion in this case, and so are the children. Anything she says is very dangerous. Some of the most ferocious criticism came from Cher Gilbert, sister of Shannon Gilbert, whose disappearance led to the discovery of other corpses on Gilgo Beach. Hewerman has not been charged in Gilbert's death, but Cher still lashed out at the project, writing on social media earlier this month that she was, quote, disappointed, disgusted, flabbergasted, and frustrated the way that the media will buy stories to further re-victimize, re-traumatize, and exploit the families and victims of serial killers is evil, exclamation point. In a follow-up statement, Cher or Cherie said it was unethical and immoral for these TV networks and production companies to use us to tell our stories under the guise of truth and justice while being forced to relive our trauma over and over for the last decade plus. She also slammed the wife's reported payday for the doc, but also all the other entities that, quote, have made money off my family and sister's story while she continued to struggle emotionally, mentally, and financially just to get by in this economy. Not only is it predatory, it's exploitation point blank. Along with the Peacock Project following the wife, Netflix is prepping a docuseries about Hewerman's arrest and the other still unsolved murders along the shore of Gilgo Beach. Uh, it'll be a three-part series. We'll look at the case against Hewerman and the unsetting discrepancy between the three murders Hewerman has been charged with and the nearly one dozen corpses found along Gilgo Beach. Nearly one dozen. Jesus. Hewerman, who was arrested in July, has pleaded not guilty to three counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Melissa, Megan, and Amber. And again, it says he has pleaded not guilty. But I mean... But, I mean, she's having sex parties with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's having sex parties with him. Mm-hmm. And then, guys, in case you're new to our little family here, um, we've been paying attention to the animal uprising. Yes, my friends, you remember the animal uprising, the, the sea otters and the dolphins and the orcas and so on, right? So, according to NPR.org, Title says, a pod of orcas has sunk a yacht in the Strait of Gibraltar. So, for 45 minutes, the crew of the Grazi Mama felt like they were under attack from below. A pod of orcas had zeroed in on the yacht's rudder as it made its way through the Strait of Gibraltar last week and rammed it repeatedly, quote, causing major damage and leakage, according to the company that operated the boat. Rescuers were able to save the crew and return them safely to port in Tangier Med on the coast of Morocco. Their vessel, though, sank into the sea. Yeah, that mom is still saying fuck them boats. Quote, this yacht was the most wonderful thing in maritime sailing for all of us, read the statement posted to Facebook by Morksy Mile, the Warsaw-based touring company that operated the boat. Quote, very good memories will be transferred to Grazi Mama the II. Love of the sea always wins and friendships remain with us, end quote. That has nothing to do with the orcas. The company said it is working to ensure its upcoming trips to the Canary Islands. They go on without a hitch. 
Last week's incident was the latest in a string of recent attacks by orcas in the waters separating southern Europe and northern Africa, encounters that have left researchers scratching their heads. Since 2020, there have been about 500 encounters between orcas and boats. Alfredo Lopez Fernandez, a co-author of a 2022 study in the journal Marine Mammal Science, told NPR earlier this year. At least three boats have sunk, though there is no record of an orca killing a human in these instances. Scientists have been trying to pinpoint the cause of the behavior. One theory among researchers is that they're just playing around. Other researchers say it may be that the whales feel like the feel of the rudder. Quote, we, what we think is that they're asking to have the propeller in the face, said Renaud de Stefanis, president and coordinator at Cirque Conservation Information and Research in Spain, in an interview with NPR last year. When they encounter a sailboat with its engine on, quote, they get kind of frustrated and that's why they break the rudder. Another theory is that the behavior may be some sort of act of revenge due to possibly traumatic previous encounters with fishing boats. Quote, I definitely think orcas are capable of complex emotions like revenge. Uh, we can complete, we can completely rule it out, even if she was not entirely convinced herself. That didn't make any sense. Deborah Giles, the science and research director at, cons at conservation group Wild Orca, says pods in other areas, such as near Washington State, have been targeted by humans but haven't shown a pattern of ramming boats, which underscores why researchers say it's difficult to draw any conclusions from the interactions documented to date. In an open letter published this summer, 30 scientists cautioned against, quote, projecting narratives onto these animals, writing that in the absence of further evidence, people should not assume they understand the animal's motivations, end quote. But I think, and I'm sure we can all agree, that didn't they say that the lead female of the orcas that were sinking boats off the coast of, was it Portugal, I believe? that she had some very specific scarring and they thought that perhaps she had been injured by a boat, that she was seeking revenge and she was attacking these boats. And then the breast of the pod's going to pick up on that and do it with her. And it seems pretty calm. I mean, it seems like the most likely explanation, right? Okay. I think this will be our last article and it comes from KXLY.com and the title reads, Kootenai County Sheriff's Office identifies human remains found near Twin Lakes, Twin Lakes, Idaho. Really? Okay, Twin Lakes, Idaho. The Kootenai County Sheriff's Office has identified the human remains that were found near Timber Ridge Road on Sunday, November 26th. The remains have been identified as 36-year-old Jacob Keith Fulweiler from Rathdrum, Idaho. Fulweiler was reported as a missing person with the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office on February 20th of 2023. The cause of death and toxicology are still under investigation by Kootenai County detectives. Fulweiler's remains were originally found by a group of local hunters on an inland empire land. Oh, that's that was the whole article? Okay, well, that was left us a bit wanting, didn't it? <laughs> so I guess this one isn't 
as long as I thought it might be, but I definitely wanted to get the Animal Uprising point in there. So if you guys have any other news articles about that, because people really seem to enjoy this, send them to me. If uh, you have any notable news from your area, even from your country, even from the exact opposite side of this planet we are all residing on, send them to me. I love it. I want to be inclusive of all the other countries. So, the, just another weekend that went by entirely too fucking fast. There's nothing we can do about it, right? Just sitting here shaking my head like you can see that. Um, I'm working on a podcast that has mental health situations and has a bit of a crime aspect to it, but a little bit different than what I normally do. And it is actually taking quite a bit more brain power. So if that one's a little bit late, I apologize. It'll be Wednesday or Thursday. So I just want to, I just want to do it right. You know, um, we're getting very close to Christmas or whatever it is for holiday stuff that you celebrate around this time. Happiness for all of that. I wish you and your family well, um, but for those that don't have people to spend those with and stuff, um, and I kind of went zero contact with, with most of my family. So I understand that that can be kind of devastating, but you know, we have each other, you know, you guys listen to me and, and I know you guys listen to other podcasts too, but I do consider us all kind of a little family, you know, and we have each other. Um, I know I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the comments. I love the comments. Even the bad ones make me chuckle. <laughs> anyway. Let's have a good week, guys. I don't really have anything snarky to say. So, love ya. Bye.